Welcome to Dragon Talk. How's it going? Uh, I'm Greg Tito, and I am joined by uh, Shelly Moo. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? We also have two uh, fantabulous guests in the studio right now, Mr. Jeremy Crawford. Yay! Hi, everyone. And Kate Irwin. Woo! How's it going, everybody? It's doing well. You're working hard on that thing. <laughs> yes, the thing we're here to talk, talk about. about. Exactly. But not the other things that we can't talk about. Right. Because that's really what you're working on, let's be honest. I, I have no idea what I can and can't talk about, so if you ask me a question, I'll answer it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So now it's our fault. <laughs> now it's all going to happen. So now uh, yeah, we have to be super careful yeah. what we ask you. <laughs> be very precise. <laughs> uh, where do babies come from? Uh-oh. No, no, we can't no. talk about that. Uh-oh. I've been asked that. Recently. We haven't announced Have that product yet. <laughs> D&D and daddies and mommies. Yes. <laughs> uh, so the product we're talking about is, of course, Morden Kanan's Tome of Foes. It's we announced kind of that. It's like a baby. It's like your baby. Yeah. It, and it's not yeah. even born yet. Correct, right? Yeah. It has not been sent the to the printer. Period. Yeah, we are, we are in the, the final week and a half. Mm-hmm. On the book. That's insane. Yeah, so... That's like the middle trimester. <laughs> so, so Kate and I literally, like, basically walked up from our desk where we were working on this very book to come here yeah. and talk about it. That's awesome. Uh, uh, great. Well, we will dive in super deep uh, during our, our interview for you guys. So we'll, we're, now I'm thinking of all the questions I have to ask you that won't lead to... Uh, (laughs) some spoilage of all things Uh, but we do have a couple other announcements before we get to that Uh, Kate Welch is in the building she is here it's her first day that's right Uh, Kate how do you feel about having another Kate I love it and I hate it because everybody is saying her name and I my back is sore but I turn around and I look and I'm like oh (laughs) (laughs) it's like two disappointments in one they don't want me and oh my back oh Kate we always want you that's true it, at least now when you guys are dealing with the, the, the ending of the book and, yeah. the, and the process. It would be a bad time not to have me. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know how some people are like first, last name people? Like they've just always yeah. been like, I feel like Kate Welch is going to be a Kate Welch. Like you're never really going to be like, Kate, that feels mm-hmm. weird. She might just be a Kate Welch. Mm. Were you a Greg Tito? I mean, I kind of, for some reason, I was. uh, People always gravitated to calling me Tito Tito, rather than Greg. That's Uh, because we used to have another Greg in the department. It's true. That's the excuse. But it was even when in in, uh, elementary school when there were no other Gregs to be seen. Really? (laughs) People still call me Tito. Not a common name. Yeah, I don't know. It wasn't. It wasn't in where I grew up in in Connecticut. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's it was a thing, and Chris, all the Chris's that we have in the department, uh, uh, we've we've called a few, but there's still <laughs> you have to keep doing the last name afterwards. Uh, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Chris Lindsay's and the Chris Perkins's. Yeah, because yeah. Perkins is usually just Perkins. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. But we don't call Lindsay Lindsay as often because nope. that's even more confusing. Him, He's Chris. I call him Chris Lindsay a lot. You do call him. Yeah, you do the the both names. Yeah. What's his middle name? That's what we got. Topher. Topher. Chris <laughs> Topher. I think you're wrong. I did know Chris. You know what? We went by Topher. Yes, I've known a few Tophers yeah. in yeah. my time, or Toffer. I've, oh. even, I've even, I think there was a Toff in like huh. some college, and I was like, yeah, I'm never calling like... you that. And he's like, Okay, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying it out. Just uh, trying to see if it works. Uh, but we basically have to get Kate in here next time and actually yeah. ask her what she would like to be referred to, and then we'll ignore all those recommendations. What and if she says, call me Kate Irwin? <gasps> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> that would Not be okay. a twist. That would be a stinger. <laughs> it's true. 
so we're learning her up on all the the D and D processes. Uh, yes. I've, I've seen it been happening. How do you start here? How do you start? Uh, sat down with her and I just talked and talked and talked and talked and talked and then we went to the computer and said and here are all the many 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 files to read so, oh, okay. so it's more just like reading a lot yes so, listening yep. and reading yep. exactly and she's I think she's listening right now uh, and, 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 and so we, we will have to have a meeting where we talk about what, what we should refer to you as uh, and then uh, of course this is the download for her what's going on with uh, with Morning Kate and Stem of Foe so that's pretty exciting that we we're actually this is for Kate this is for Kate this isn't even for the those of you watching or listening, yeah. this is for Kate. I mean, are, we, are we recording this? <laughs> oh, we're recording we this. Record this. That's what these are for. Right. <laughs> this makes sense now. <laughs> All right. Uh, but we do have some other fun stuff going on in the world of Dungeons & Dragons. So Idol Champions of the Forgotten Realms is uh, still going with their uh, live min- midwinter event. is happening right now. It ends today on February 5th. So those of you listening, it's already gone. But you would have been able to unlock and gear up Regis uh, from the Crystal Shard. Uh, he's one of the companions from, uh, from Bob's book. So yep. that's pretty exciting. Uh, go check that out. It's on... Uh, uh, Pre, what's the pre-alpha? I've done this so many times that I'm forgetting what to do. Early access, that's what it's called on Steam, when you can get into the game uh, before it's officially out there. Uh, but it's all the bells and whistles of, of Idle Champions are available. You can send out your adventurers on uh, quests. They collect all the loot all in real time, and it's a super fun game, even if you don't have tons of time to devote to it. Uh, our friends at Beamdog are making the Neverwinter Nights Enhanced Edition. Uh, there, I, I'm, I've heard tell that there's an uh, announcement date coming out there soon. I don't know it quite yet, uh, but they're working really hard with the community. Uh, Neverwinter Nights was a uh, a big time game in the early aughts. It is still being used to this day. In fact, when we spoke to Hawk Robinson, uh, he was like, oh, yeah, I have a module that I use to uh, uh, have the themes and things that he wants to get across yeah. uh, in his uh, adventures. And I'm told all of those modules that are have been created for Neverwinter Nights will work in the Enhanced Edition, which is pretty cool. In addition to improving all the UI and making it uh, usable ooh. on, ooh, I know, Shelly. Are you excited? Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. There's a lot of fun stuff going on there with, like, permanent servers and things that you can do in Neverwinter Nights. So uh, I'm kind of excited about it. Uh, you can also get uh, Twitch subscriptions here. I know they're live. Uh, we offer tons of emotes for those of you who subscribe at the four ninety nine level. You'll get to watch all of us uh, do this thing every Monday afternoon. But then we have Mike Merles' show on Tuesdays at uh, uh, 1 p.m. Pacific time. Mike Merles' Happy Fun Hour. I think he's doing these subclasses that he uh, is creating as uh, pertains to people's donations to like Extra Life. Right there. In front there. of you. You That's get to see so him cool. design something yeah. in real time. Time, which I think is super fascinating. I think so too. You don't get that a lot here on the Twitches uh, where real DD people are doing their stuff in front of you. Uh, so that's kind of exciting. Again, that's tomorrow. I think he's got his second episode of that. Uh, so go check that out. Then Dragon Plus is at 2 p.m. Pacific time. I think Mike is on the hook for that as well. This is maybe why he is not on this podcast, but I think it more has to do with that. Uh, football contest that happened uh, He's angry. Uh, beforehand. He's angry and sad. He's angry and sad inside, so he didn't want to put that face forward. Um, but Bart will have to talk football with him uh, during Dragon Plus. I'm sure the two of them will have a lot to talk about, in addition to what's going on with uh, uh, Atomophos, which we'll get to here. Um, and, uh, and then I'll do D&D News before we have another episode of Dice Camera Action, which has been a lot of fun stuff has been happening in that show uh, and I've got, I don't want to spoil it too, but like it's, it's really crazy, insane. Crazy there, things happening. There really are. Yeah. I don't even want to. There's. Every, it seems like every time Chris walks from Ravenloft, he's like, I just made everyone cry. Everyone's. <laughs> and he's <laughs> proud of them. And he, well, it, but in a very like 
you know, dramatic way that you can only do with uh, people who trust and, and, and uh, role play like they do. It's, it's been really fascinating watching. So if you haven't been paying attention, please do watch that 4 p.m. Pacific time on Tuesdays here on the Twitch channel. Twitch.tv slash DND for those of you listening at home. Um, and we have our friends from Tales from Candlekeep, Tomb of Annihilation. They've got lots of DLC packs available now uh, for that game. That is a board game. Just like your uh, sweatshirt says, it is a board game that has been translated into the digital medium. So all the fun stuff that the WizKids version of Tomb of Annihilation, uh, the board game, it's in the adventure system. You can play through different scenarios. I think there's 29 different scenarios you can play in the digital version, oh. uh, which is way more uh, than uh, the 15 or so that are in That's the cool. the actual box of the board game. You can uh, do different difficulties for each one of them. So it's really a strategic, tactical, uh, fun Way to uh, interact with the D and D brand. Uh, it's if you if you're into that strategy level of things, uh, I definitely suggest checking out Tales from Candlekeep because it will go a little bit cray cray hmm. in your brain. You, you got to make some hard choices, is what I'm trying to say. Okay, <laughs> do it every day. <laughs> so many hard choices so to many. make, um, and of course, D and D Beyond is uh, always available out there for you making your uh, character. I made our character for our lunchtime campaign, and it looked like everybody around the table basically had done the same. Uh, some of them had them on their laptops. Some people had printed them out and done it, and they were like, "Oh my god, this is so much fun!" You didn't uh, make the right character, though. Are you are you mad about the fact that I? I'm uh, role playing right now. I understand. Drunky two shoes. Well, you role played basically that the fact that the reason we weren't playing with the tabaxi anymore is because Your he passed away. I killed two. Daryl two shoes is no longer apparently. I like that. That's canon. Death plague. Yeah, it was. It yeah. Well, it, it was a dangerous adventure. It was not going to come through uh, unscathed. The thing is, is that in that game, I had that in the back of my mind that you had or Daryl. Had the death Daryl plague. Daryl Tissues, yeah. You didn't know. Oh. But my character knew, and that's why I was so desperate. I was going to just be this crazy tabaxi and cholt trying to save her brother. And you were just going to be like, come on, drunky, just keep it together. <laughs> I'm like, you don't understand, because I never wanted to tell you oh. that I was trying to save you. I understand now. So now that we're in a new game and you didn't bring back that character, I just assume he's dead. All right, now I'm now crazy. the now we need to go like in, back in time and be like, what happened? See see where we ended up. But a there's things session. about a flashback yes, session yes. exactly. There's things in about his new character that remind my character of her brother, <laughs> oh. and that's why she decided to follow his him and his adventuring group around. See, this all makes sense. Uh, lots of fun stuff happening there. Uh, but one cool thing about doing D&D Beyond, I don't know if you guys know this, but you can uh, playtest or help us playtest Unearthed Arcana material in D&D Beyond. That's right. Uh, so right now there is uh, oh, what, what, there's the, the Druid of the Spores, the Circle of the Spores. Ooh. And also the Brute for the Fighter and uh, also the School of Invention for the Wizard. Oh, very cool. Those were ones that I wanted to try out, so... Now you can, in D&D yes. Beyond, pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's unofficial material. It's not official. It's not accepted in a, a D&D Adventurers League play. Is that right? That's correct. Okay, a few. Uh, so, yeah, it, but I like that it's all, you know, and there's also the Blood Hunter class uh, that's available uh, that uh, Matt Mercer from Critical Role made is also available there. Also not official, but you can basically play with it and, and, and enjoy it. And... Uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's 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 really exciting what's going on there. Uh, and uh, there's actually a video with uh, with you guys talking about uh, Tomofos up on D and D Beyond's Wii YouTube page right now. Uh, so yeah, in addition right. to this wonderful amount of interview, we're going to talk about uh, the Tomofos. You can go check it out uh, at D and D Beyond's YouTube page too. So 
shout out to Todd Kennerick for making those videos happen. He's a, he's a good interviewer. Potentially yes. even better than Shelly. Oh, really? <laughs> Potentially. Pretty yeah. low bar. We'll figure it out in the, uh, the, awards, <laughs> the awards season that's coming up uh, when we do the uh, D&D Podcast Oscars. Oh, my, are we in the same category? Are I don't we think up so. against each other? I don't think so. I'm in the original category, and you're in the, uh, uh, I don't know what you would be in. I don't know. I feel like we might be in the same room. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I not think good. I might be on your coattails. All right, then, fine. <laughs> uh, everyone should. Everyone in the Academy should vote for Shelly. <laughs> She's way more professional than I am. Yeah. Uh, all right, so let's throw it to a, uh, a fun little lore segment before we get in to talk to uh, Jeremy and Kate about what's in Tome of Foes. Luckily, I thought ahead, and this lore is actually about Mordenkainen. So wow. all of you can know about... Been sitting on that one. ...the fantastic uh, uh, wizard from the city of Greyhawk and, uh, and learn way more than just that little tidbit in this lore segment right now. So bing and bong it up there. Welcome to Lore You Should Know. My name is Greg Tito, and I am joined by only one lore master today. Yep. Mr. Chris yep. Perkins. Yep. Happy to be here. Matt Certain will not be here on this particular one. That's why we picked particularly He's top- had enough of us. Yes. He was like, I'm out. Yeah. Uh, but also uh, wanted to make sure we had stuff that you could talk about. Uh, so I we could talk about anything. You could talk about anything. Yep. And I'm going to throw Mordenkainen at you. Okay. He is a wizard from the world of Greyhawk. Uh, oh, yes. One of the eight. In fact, the found- he created the Circle of Eight. Is that he, right? Yes, he did. He also created the Citadel of Eight. Oh. So what's the difference, you ask? Well, yes. First of all, for those who don't know, Morden Kanan was Gary Gygax's wizard character. Um, did he, he played with it, or did he only use it as a dungeon master? So early, on, early in the 70s, before the, before the game that we know released, mm. he ran a D&D campaign set in his world of Greyhawk for his friends. And he decided that he was going to take a break and give the DMing duties over to somebody else for a short time. And so he took his... He took a hand at playing a character, and the character created for himself was a first-level wizard named Mordenkainen. Oh. And that character pretty much carried him through his entire time at TSR until the time when he left. And uh, he left not only TSR but Mordenkainen behind and moved on to other things. But Mordenkainen has survived the ages. Uh, and I didn't o- know that. over the course of history, both real and imagined, has grown in power. From the lowly beginnings yes. at first from his, level. From his lowly first level days, and anybody who's played first edition, like early edition D&D, knows how frail first edition characters are. So yeah. it's, it's really a matter of luck that he has survived until now, but maybe not all luck, because Gary Gygax, Gary Gygax can pretty much do what he wants. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Morden Kanan was his character, and uh, he formed, or he became part of, an adventuring party. Uh, the leader of the adventuring party nominally that was called the Citadel of Eight. And they went around doing all kinds of mischief, getting into all kinds of trouble and getting treasure and magic items and all that kind of thing. And those, uh, that party uh, grew to include a wizard who became Mordenkainen's apprentice mm-hmm. named Bigby. Now, was that also a character, like a player? Uh, uh, player character, yeah. Okay. Uh, Tensor. Another notable wizard joined that party. And then they also had some uh, fighter types in um, Robolar and Irag, or Irag, and a couple clerics, which is always wise in first edition, named Certain and Rigby, 
Rigby. Not to be confused with Bigby. And played, then, played by the same person, <laughs> probably. Right. And then there was the Ranger <laughs> Otis, the, uh, the seldom spoken of Ranger Otis. Uh, and they were the Citadel of Eight. Oh, I did. Oh, so they were the, the, the group was called the Citadel of Eight. That's right, because there were eight of them. And so what was the circle and they were of tough. Eight? So after that campaign, I guess, ended, uh, a number of products were created in the D&D line that included Morden Kanan in them in one way, shape, or form. Probably the most notable one was an adventure from first edition called Morden Kanan's Fantastic Adventure, mm-hmm. uh, which statted up Morden Kanan in the back of the book, and you could run him as a character through the adventure with some other people that you may or may not be aware of. Right. Um, those were not his official stats, by the way. Gary Gygax never shared the official stats for Morning. I was just—I was going to ask that. So that's Other not people, like his character. Correct. She translated. No, he, they just made up no. stats. People had to make up stuff because he mm. didn't share his character with anyone. Why was that? Do you know? Because I guess he felt it, like it was a kind of a private thing. Oh, I guess that's true. Um, yeah, we get so so public yes. with our character sheets, but you're right. There is. A, so if you've yeah. seen Morden Kanan's stats in print, chances are they are not, in fact, the real Morden Kanan's stats. Interesting. Yes. I like the level of mystery. Right, exactly. Um, and so you could play him in some way, shape, or form. And it was in later products that this idea of the Circle of Eight came around. And it's not clear whether Gary had any hand in its creation. But uh, later things, I think it was like the From the Ashes box set or one of the later box sets for Greyhawk, basically positioned Morden Kanan as this super powerful mage who basically starts the Circle of Eight as a group of wizards, wizards only, yeah, um, to basically kind of be this star chamber, secret council, kind of working behind the scenes to control empires and keep the power where the power should be and to take it away from people who can't handle it and things like that. And that included some old members of the Citadel, like Tensor and uh, Bigby, and then some new wizards. So uh, they didn't include, but they they didn't include the the, the fighter types and the, and the Otis no. in those lists. No. Okay. No. So they and, were all wizards. And some of them, some of the original uh, founding members of the group, uh, the Citadel, had died off by then. Like certain uh, creator of certain's spell immunity, the spell uh, oh. he he perished in a battle called the Battle of Emerald Meadows, um, which was a great battle that the Citadel fought in and. Um, now, was that the, a, like a, a game session of Kai X and his crew, or was that immortalized it, later in, it, a, in a novel? So, I, I, I believe it was actually part of the campaign and then was sort of name-dropped in Temple of Elemental Evil. Ah, okay. The, the adventure that Gary wrote with uh, Rob Kuntz. Um, and uh, in that adventure, the mention of the, the rise of the temple uh, leading to adventurers and the forces of good converging on the temple to destroy it that battle played out in a place called Emerity Meadows. Oh, I see. Okay, that was the way to... Yeah. Yes. Got it. Uh, the only time that Emerity Meadows has been really been explored in a, in a project was in issue 221 of Dungeon Magazine, uh, where there was an adventure called the Battle of Emerity Meadows where you could actually play it out. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and so but, once it morphed into being more of the circle of eight... By then, Morden Kanan was part of the D&D IP and all kinds of people were using it. Uh, all kinds of designers were inserting him into adventures and things. And in fact, uh, he showed up in some very unusual places. Dragon Magazine had a series, a long-running series, written by Ed Greenwood, grandfather of the Forgotten Realms. The series was called The Wizards 3, where Elminster, Morden Kanan, and Dalimar from the Dragonlance setting would all meet in Ed Greenwood's kitchen in Canada, and trade stories and uh, banter back and forth 
um, as wizards are wont to do. I love that as like a uh, meta thing that mm-hmm. encompasses both our real world and something right. you almost touched in in the most recent yeah. uh, Acquisition Incorporated uh, yes. uh, uh, show in which yes. like, oh, they're here in, in... And we consider that, we consider those articles as weird and bizarre as they are to be kind of semi-canonical elements of the world, of the multiverse, this concept that you can get from the Forgotten Realms to Greyhawk to Canada. Yeah. And that they can all coexist in the same material plane. So it's only Canada and the Pacific Northwest that, they, that people can go to, right? It's <laughs> Did you work on those? Were you an editor on those? Uh, uh, no, I was a, I was, I was just a young upstart freelancer when the Wizards Three articles were g- given birth. But having survived as long as I have, and I continue to work with Ed Greenwood, we have done things since. Like for instance, if you've read um, Ed Greenwood's uh, last novel, Death Masks. It takes place in Waterdeep, but uh, Morden Kanan appears in it. Oh. So that was me asking Ed if he would, you know, hearken back to the good old days, to those articles, and rekindle that sort of friendship. That's cool. Yeah. Just so, so people know that it still existed. Um, and then you also, uh, you know, did some of that with uh, some other recent adventures uh, with Incursive uh, uh, Strahd, for example. Yes. That's where, that's the, sort of the most recent place in our RPGs where Morden Kanan has been, spoiler, where Morden Kanan has made an appearance. Hinted at. Anyway. Yes. Well, right. no, he's, he's there. Okay. Uh, and he's named, and you can actually meet him, and he can walk around with you. In fact, when I was um, running Curse of Strahd in my live stream game, Dice Camera Action, Morden Kanan appears and helps the Waffle Crew out of a tight spot, and um, Sam Whitwer, who is a big D&D aficionado and fan, brilliant actor, too, Got him to play the role, which is Footnote, great. He's a good actor, which is great because um, uh, he knows the the history of D anD D so well yeah. that he can kind of authenticate some things. And he gave it like Gary's voice. And um, oh uh, no way! Yeah, he, I didn't realize yeah, that that yeah. he was he was mimicking Gary's yeah, voice. Yeah, he was he was homage an homage to Aww, Gary's voice. So, that is super cool. Yeah. <clears throat> So, uh, you know, people might have read, if you know none of that history, you might have at least seen some of the spells that bear Morden Kanan's name in in D&D lore for for a long time, right? Yeah, and several of them have survived into the present edition. Uh, Morden Kanan's Magnificent Mansion is probably the favorite, uh, which allows you to create an extra-dimensional mansion that you can hide out in that your enemies can't get at you inside of. It's not just a, yeah. a, a, a hole, a portable hole. It's no, an actual no. mansion. <clears throat> yeah, it's it's got all the all the decor and everything else. So you feel very important all of a sudden. Now, what I mean, we we kind of glossed over this, but like, what what kind of a person was Morden Kanan? What what was his personality? Um, I don't know his personality as portrayed by the Grand Master of D anD D himself, Gary Gygax, but in print, uh, he has been described as a dick. A bit of an ass. <laughs> um, and that's because the nature of Greyhawk and the types of heroes that typically come out of Greyhawk tend to be more kind of self-serving and self-interested and self-directed than a lot of other campaign settings. In Greyhawk, your, your job really is as an adventure to go out, kill monsters, and take their stuff. And taking stuff and becoming more powerful are kind of like the hallmarks of that setting. And uh, I believe his alignment is chaotic neutral. Ooh, that's Which means that um, he is can be unpredictable, and that his ethics don't fall in sort of the good or evil spectrum. Um, and so, uh, in in lately, we've sort of interpreted that as being that it's hard to sort of pierce whether or not he has a code, or what ultimately drives what he does. And 
his drives may change from moment to moment. Um, but we speculate that one of the things that does interest him is the nature of how the cosmos works. And so he is fascinated with tinkering with that and inserting himself into cosmic events to see what happens. Mm. So in that way, he can be an agent of chaos. Um, he might send adventurers on a mission, for instance, without knowing exactly what the repercussions of that mission are, just to see what, how, what the response is. Um, and that's you know, part of being brilliant uh, and part of having a lot of time, uh, an immortal life, basically. Um, he's like all powerful wizards. He sustains himself through magic, longevity, potions, and the like. He's never gone the path of the lich. So that's, that's good. So, that's... so he's not all bad. <laughs> um, he's at least neutral. Anyways. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, I think, by and large, he's probably done more harm to, or more good to the multiverse than harm. Um, maybe accidentally so, but uh, that's and, interesting. Yeah. All right. So, but but he is also just in his demeanor. He's right. kind of yeah. Uh, but uh, if he comes into town, he's not going to be suppressed by any of the laws of the town or anything like that. He's going to do what he his heart desires. And if somebody gets hurt, uh, he might feel bad about it for a while, but he's going to move on. Does he have any, uh, like, strong relationships? Does he have any people that he has known for a long time beyond the, the circle of eight? Um, unclear. Uh, as far as I know, he's never had a family. Um, he's had apprentices, but only scarce few. Mm-hmm. I think there's one uh, mentioned in the early Wizards 3 articles named Ralphini or Ralphine, um, Big B. Um, yeah, so Big B was his apprentice. How did that work? So... Originally, uh, Bigby was a character created by Rob Kuntz, one of um, Gary's gaming buddies. Oh, okay. And uh, because Rob often took over Gary's DMing duties, the characters didn't always interact, but they kind of lived in the same universe. But apparently there was a session where they were both able to get together and they had a bit of a throwdown until um, Morden Kanan defeated Bigby, mm. forced him into service, and then eventually, I guess, a friendship emerged out of that somehow. Oh, okay. So they were, they were adversaries. They were adversarial, kind of and then that turned into a... Uh, Mordenkainen proved himself to be the more powerful wizard, and so Bigby kind of fell in line. I see. Yeah. That's interesting. And you might know Bigby from uh, uh, Bigby's Hand. Bigby's Hand, which in earlier editions was a multitude of spells. Mm-hmm. Um, they were all separate spells, which we combined into one and fifth. Which makes sense. Yep. Easy. So Mordenkainen is still alive. He's still kicking, still traveling the multiverse. Would you say he's a, uh, what, you know, if people wanted to stat him up now, is he a 20th level wizard? Is he a 30th uh, yeah. level? He, like what, what? He, is, he is minimum 20th level. Yeah. Um, we don't really have epic level type things uh, after that. but uh, would, not, not in this edition yeah. yet. But um, he would be beyond yes. the, the normal scope. Yes. Uh, he would be, he would be uh, more than a, a challenge for a, our ancient red dragon um, or a Baylor demon. Interesting. Yeah. Now, does he also create uh, spells still? Is that part of his love? Presumably. Is, is, is yep. always experimenting Presumably. and creating new yep. things? There are other Mordenkainen's blank spells out there. Um, That's a fun way yep. to bring it into your campaign if you wanted to, yes. to, to create a spell and be possibly, like, oh, it's Mordenkainen's Possibly blank. the most um, uh, horrendous spell in the game is his. Uh, it's, a, it's a spell that we haven't brought back to 5th edition, as far as I know yet, called Mordenkainen's Disjunction. Oh, I remember this. It's a very, very nasty spell. You cast it, and basically all magic items within a field are destroyed. 
Um, that yeah. seems like such a dungeon master thing to do, Gary yes. Gygax. So anybody who's ever who's, <laughs> who's aware of his gaming style knows that it's the it's the it's the penultimate or ultimate Gary Gygax spell. Um, yeah, you can't kill their characters. Just, fine, take away their magic screw. items. It's a and, real screw to players. Oh, yeah, that's rough. Yeah, yeah. So, they won't they won't be resurrected. Those magic right. items. So we have been hesitant to bring that bastard spell back into the game. <laughs> But no. but it typifies it, it's like emblematic of Morden Kanan as a personality. Yeah, that's true. I like my magic items. I don't like yours. Yeah, yeah. I'd much rather be on uh, the yeah. one holding all the cards. Yes, exactly. That makes sense. Uh, so, uh, what are some other ideas that people might use to uh, uh, if if you like this idea of, of there being this uber powerful spellcaster like Morden Kanan can go from different yeah. worlds? How would how would other people want to bring them to to their campaigns or their home settings? Um, I think that. He is best as an instigator, uh, somebody who can kind of get the characters on a course. He often appears in disguise when he's traveling abroad, so oh. as not to attract attention to himself. And does so he have like one disguise? Or his like common disguise is that of a basically like a a, a poor merchant, mm. basically a, ba- a badly dressed kind of scuzzy man that you wouldn't, if you were to look at, he wouldn't stand out in a crowd. Uh, he wouldn't strike you as being a particularly interesting personality. Um, so uh, he moves incognito. In, in ways, whereas in real life he's actually quite flamboyant. If you've seen any art of him in the past, he's he's quite um, there's a bearing to him uh, that's quite regal. He dresses flamboyantly. His mm-hmm. robes and such are quite over the top and always neat, right? Like a yes. fast, fastidious. Yes, yes. Um, his look has changed over editions too. He went from having this sort of uh, tangled black hair and a Van Dyke beard shot with gray to basically losing his hair going bald and having a sort of more Ming the Merciless presence. Mm. Yeah. And that was more, why did his uh, visit, like did he grow up and he's like, I think I want to look more like Chris uh, Perkins. I think, I think that they're just kind of two, there was a, there was a sense, that some, somewhere along the line somebody just wanted to update his look mm. and so he got a bit of a refresher and I think the first time his, his uh, bald pate was figured prominently was on the cover of a um, third edition book called uh, expedition to the ruins of Greyhawk, mm. and since then we've seen that look kind of become more prominent, and the the, the older, younger Morden Kanan's look has not appeared quite so often. I like uh, I don't know why, but my story headcanon is that uh, uh, he had a moment where he like he shaved everything off, and he, that's like, possible. And he like he is like chaotic a bit of neutral. A trans- yeah, yeah right? never know. Yeah, yeah, right. It's like that's, yeah. that Royal Tannenbaum scene. So I should point out. Um, since it just occurred to me that we do stat up Morden Kanan in Curse of Strahd, uh, but he's done in a way that is meant to not take up a ton of space. Mm. And he's, I think he's basically like the equivalent of a, of a lich in power. I see. Um, so he has been statted up in a form, but were I to actually create a character sheet for him, I'd probably go the whole nine yards and... It was mostly done just to make sure that, hey, if you get into a fight, here's right. what you need exactly. to, we, to we be gave, able to... We gave a certain amount of information so the DM could run a character um, who was super powerful and all that. But right. uh, really, really to do more than Kane Justice, you have to... You have to build him up as a player character. Interesting. As yeah. he was always meant to be. I love that, that he went from, you know, the, the person who created this game's player character mm-hmm. into uh, being a part of... A big part of the lore. Yeah. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, cool. Anything else uh, about Morning Canaan or his or his friends or apprentices uh, before we um, sign off here? His name has been pronounced Morden Canaan and Morden Kynan. Uh, as far as I know, both are correct. All right. Which one does he prefer? <laughs> I would love to ask Gary to find out. Oh, 
Yeah. I think generally most people, I th- I'd say maybe 80% of the audience calls him Morden Kanan. Um, but if you do say Morden Kanan, okay. Yeah. He's, he's chaotic. He understands. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Awesome. Cool. Uh, where can people find uh, you to uh, ask you questions about uh, all of this? I am on Twitter at Chris Perkins DND. Awesome. Uh, you can follow me at Greg Tito, and that'll be it for this edition of Lore You Should Know. Uh, check back next week for some more uh, lore and or sage advice. Thanks, you guys. That was a really good uh, Lore You Should Know segment. Did you guys listen to that? Wasn't awesome. it good? Yeah, it was good. Do you I feel can't like believe you... I didn't know it. Uh, right? All that stuff that you knew from Morden Kanan, uh, it was amazing that Chris said everything that you already knew. It's weird. Didn't know I knew, but I knew it. But now you know it. Now I really know it. That's good, because you should know. That's the name of the segment. So now you know. Yeah. Right. You should know. Right. So we are going to talk about uh, what's in Tomofo. So why don't, uh, uh, Jeremy, why don't you give us the like overview of what Morden Kanan's Tomofo is, and then we'll, we'll follow up. This book is all about conflicts uh, in the D&D multiverse, and we delve into some of these great conflicts that rage across the worlds of D&D, give you some uh, lore about those conflicts, and then the whole second half of the book is filled with monsters, many of which are related to those conflicts. So in many ways, you can think of Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes as a sibling to Volo's Guide to Monsters, a, a book that... You know, the back half was a bunch of new monsters and the front half was a lot of new story. Uh, But again, this time, the through line, rather than it being, here's an interesting collection of monsters, which is what we did with Volo's Guide, this time we specifically wanted to focus on some of these grand cosmic conflicts, uh, the first of which that we cover in the book is the Blood War, you know, the, the everlasting war that goes on between demons and devils. Uh, and uh, and this is this is a conflict that spans not only the outer outer planes uh, but also boils into various D and D worlds. You know, it affects the Forgotten Realms, it affects Greyhawk, etc. And so we delve into the story of the Blood War, uh, but also as we talk about each of the conflicts in this book, it's also a chance for us to talk about some of the non-monstrous people who are drawn into these conflicts. So great example of this is we have a whole chapter on the schism of the drow from the other elves. But we actually in that chapter go into great depth about elves themselves. Uh, Because in monster books, we usually focus on the things you fight. And we thought if if, if we focus on conflict, well, then it gives us a chance to also talk about the people who are often on the non-monstrous side of those conflicts. So we get to talk about not just drow, but we also talk about high elves and wood elves and Aladrin and Shatterkai and, and more. Uh, in the Blood War chapter, we talk about tieflings whom you might play. Uh, in the chapter that's about the conflict between dwarves and dwergar, we not only talk about the bad guy dwergar, but we also talk about dwarves in general, their culture, uh, their personality, you know, what what motivates them. They're gods. Um, in the elf chapter, we delve into the, the gods of the elves. Uh, we have a chapter about Githyanki and Githzerai, and we talk about both sides of that conflict. Uh, we delve into uh, the uh, non-conflict 
that surrounds halflings and gnomes. We decided it would be fun in a book about conflict to include a whole section on these two unusual cultures that are not known to have any major cosmic conflicts because even that in a multiverse of conflict is a fascinating story. What what is it about halflings and gnomes that sets them apart? So this book delves into that as well. Uh, And then again, we have just monster after monster after monster. It's a 256-page book. Uh, At least half of that book uh, is new monsters for DMs to use in their games. Uh, There are also various random tables to uh, inspire players as they're making their characters, DMs as they're designing adventures. Uh, So it's a wealth of material that uh, touches on all sorts of different topics. Yeah, I was going to... So it, it is player and DM. Yes. Yeah. It, hmm. it definitely, like Volo's Guide, is mostly geared toward dungeon masters. But players will find in this book, uh, let's say you're playing an elf or a dwarf, you're going to find a lot of information about uh, elven and dwarven culture uh, that could inspire uh, the backstory you create for your character, how you role play your character. Uh, and we also have some new playable race options in this book. Oh. Uh, so, and again, they're all thematic. They, they tie in with certain chapters in the book. And some of these options, uh, people have already gotten to see drafts of in Unearthed Arcana. Okay. Uh, the, the, the versions in the book are different from what everyone saw because, as usual, we put out the Unearthed Arcana, we gathered feedback, and then we revised the design based on the feedback we received. And so some of the things that people got to see that have made it into the book is the book includes both uh, Githzerai and Githyanki as uh, playable races. Uh, the book uh, includes a new take on Aladrin. Aladrin appeared as a sample in the Dungeon Master's Guide. They now appear in this book as a sort of fully fleshed out option. Oh, okay, good, right. Because that, that was one of my questions was how do Aladrin figure into that whole conflict? So um, we, what we delve into in this book is uh, the Aladrin relationship with uh, their elven kin. Uh, because Aladrin uh, are also a type of elf. However, unlike other elves, uh, they have really connected deeply to the realm of the Feywild. And as a result of that, you have a mix where some of them are humanoid like other elves. And so the, the Aladrin that you can play are humanoid. But then there are other Aladrin who have been so transformed by the realm of fairy that they have become fey. Uh, and some of them can even then become uh, archfey, and some of them have so uh, g- uh, attracted the notice of the elf gods that those Aladrin have been invited uh, back oh. to Arvindor, uh, where they dwell with the with the gods. So, is it a choice to be noticed and to be or to be transformed by the? That that would have to be a sort of thing that would play out over the course of the campaign. The the option we give is to play a humanoid uh, Aladrin. Um, but but when you say so, does that mean that the other Aladrin are not humanoids? So they're in it's it's because interesting. They are there are then Aladrin in the monster section of the book who are fae, ah. uh, because uh, some of them might be your foes uh, or your allies. Got it. Uh, we also have Shatter Kai here as a playable option. Uh, and these are uh, people of the Shadowfell 
who were also originally elves and were transformed by their deep connection uh, with the Shadowfell. In a way, you can almost think of uh, the Shatterkai and the Aladrin as being like mere images of each other. Oh, the Aladrin are the vibrant, uh, vigorous ones, and the Shatterkai are sorrowful uh, and, and right. gloomy, but also powerful. So with all these descriptions, I'm thinking so much about the visuals and how the, the art of these uh, uh, creatures can be tra- you know, translated from, from the kind of descriptors that Jeremy's saying into, into the actual images that are created in, there, in the book themselves. So, yeah, Kate, how, how do you take what he's saying and turn it into what, what people see in the book? Well... Um, obviously what he's saying is really inspiring. So that helps uh, in the first place is is to just really get that feeling of what it means to be an elf and then um, the, the the bookends of, of what elfdom could be, the Shatterkai and the, and the Aladrin. Um, so we kind of, we redeveloped what Aladrin looked like. Uh, Richard Witters did some really great concept work where um, he tried to, even though they're humanoid, he tried to make them, and they still look like elves. Um, he he played with ways to make them look like the elfiest elf you've ever seen. <laughs> um, and I think that he did a really great job on that. And then uh, Eric Belial did the art that's in the book. Um, and... Uh, so yeah, the, so the uh, uh, I would just, one process that people might not be aware of is the writing of the art orders and how things that like that happen. Like, do you does, does Jeremy write those or do you write those? Well, it may be changing. Maybe Jeremy will write everything because because of how you have help now. <laughs> no, just because because he's really good at sussing out the kernel of what makes something really interesting mm-hmm. and. Um, Sometimes when we're writing art orders, it's it's like, well, I want to show this, and of course I want to show it because it's in the book. That's why I want to show it. But it's, <laughs> but but Jeremy is able to to really uh, talk about the the core of what's important um, in that piece. So I love getting art orders from him, but I don't always get them from him. Um, and we have a process here where the the writer or the developer of the um, of the book will put in their request for art order and then I review it and we talk through it together so that hopefully I can can get some of if if it's not already in the art order I can get some of that um, kind of excitement from from the person talking one on one but that's that's usually what makes a really good art order but I love Jeremy's art orders <laughs> oh thank you does everything go through Richard or Sean for concept or is it only if you're going to reconcept something and then how do you decide if you're going to reconcept it I don't know how they decide if they're going to reconcept it. If it looks dorky, then <laughs> of course at, like things like, from like past cooler. editions. Right. Is what yeah, you're... yeah. Um, or if if they decide that they want to focus on a different aspect of a creature and it doesn't really fit with the way we've visually shown it um, previously, mm-hmm. then they'll take take that on. But there may be other reasons why. So, um, but uh, everything doesn't have to be reconcepted. Do you want to talk about why, why you uh, want a new look for? Uh, well, so, sometimes uh, the look of a classic creature might change because we've delved deeper into the story of that creature. We we might realize there's some aspect of it that we weren't capturing visually well in the past, mm-hmm. and we want to punch that up. Um, 
But then other times, yeah, as you said, Kate, we'll, we'll just say, hey, we love the classic look, and that's the look we're going to go with. So it, it really is a kind of creature-by-creature creature choice. And uh, there, was a lot of, there were a lot of discussions, uh, especially among uh, Mike Merles and Matt Cernet and uh, other members of the team early on for this book about, and also with Richard and Sean, about how are these creatures going to look, which ones need a new look, which ones can keep their, their classic appearance. Uh, and, uh, and there are a lot of monsters in this book. So yeah. there, there were a lot of, a lot of those conversations uh, to have. Uh, Where, so the monsters that are in the book, are they uh, ones that we've never seen before, or are they ones that are just we haven't seen in 5th edition before? So it's a mix. Okay. Uh, there, there, are, there are some that will, will, you know, people will see them, oh, and I've never seen this anywhere. And then a lot of them are uh, from old editions that, uh, but are making their debut in 5th edition. Uh, what are some the, of those uh, for, for the people out there? Oh, for thing, <laughs> things making their their debuts. Yeah. yeah. So so Can we? particularly because we're yeah. dealing with cosmic conflict, uh, and also we wanted this book to have some new high level options. This book includes uh, stats for a number of the arch devils of the nine hells. So you can, like, go up against some of the big bads of the multiverse. So we saw all the, the demon lords, or many of the demon lords in Out of the Abyss. Yes. But now we actually have some of their yep. e- equal in power or equivalent in power on, on the devil side of the blood war. Exactly, because, oh. again, since we talk about the blood war in this book, we need to show both sides of that conflict. Nice. Uh, we also have, like, elder elementals, uh, things like the Leviathan uh, are, are in this book. Uh, you know, basically like city-destroying kinds of creatures uh, that are really at kind of like Tarask level uh, in terms of, of their might. Uh, there are new Yugoloths, uh, because Yugoloths are also a part of, of the Blood War. They're uh, the middle. They're the middle. They're yes. The, the, the neutral side of, of the fiends. Yeah, they, they like to play both sides against each other. Uh, and Yugoloths also like to, uh, to, to make bargains with many other people in the multiverse. Uh, also... As we explored certain stories in the front part of the book, it then inspired us to want to dig deeper with some of the monsters in the back part. great example of this is because we were exploring the story of the Shatterkai and the Shadowfell earlier in the book, then suddenly we wanted to do all these Shadowfell-themed creatures in the back part of the book. So there are actually quite a few uh, creatures. Some of them are brand new uh, associated with the Shadowfell. Uh, that are in the back part of the book, which is also kind of an answer to the fact that Volo's Guide to Monsters actually had a lot of fey in it, and but but not much that was related to uh, the Shadowfell. So now this time, rather than doing a deep dive on the Feywild, instead we have quite a few creatures from the Shadowfell. All right, that makes sense. So yeah. when it's a new creature that hasn't been, like you don't have any background or, or, or you know, uh, uh, reference material to go mm-hmm. back to, is that, is that exciting as, as an art director? Um, it can be. Usually if, it, if we've never seen this monster before and there's, there's, not, there's not something that's like, it's exactly like A, except it has wings or something like that. <laughs> um, that's when Richard and Sean will come in and they'll, they'll make up a concept for it. Sometimes if they're really excited about a monster, they'll want to take it to finish. And, and if they just don't have time, um, then I send it out to other artists to to use. Um, but most of the time, uh, we want to keep control of what what that new monster looks like. Um, we don't we don't farm it out to someone else to 
uh, decide what a new monster will be. Oh, okay, so those are mostly in-house. And there's a lot of there's a lot of back and forth with um, with Jeremy, Mike, uh, Perkins, um, putting in their two two cents about what they really think it should look like. And so it's it's a it's more than more work than just making a, a beautiful piece of art. Right, and if you had to do that by teleconference or any other way, yeah. it would be much harder. But you know, the, the, the four people you mentioned is go into a room and, and, yeah. and hash it out a lot quicker with exactly. doodles and drawings. Yeah. I've seen some, some of the shrapnels of those, those meetings in, in ones <laughs> that on I've... Left on whiteboards. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, because one of the things we have to consider any time where we're coming up with the look of a new monster or reconcepting something that's already in the game is these aren't only going to be used for... Uh, Kate's artists, uh, but they're also going to be used by uh, partners like WizKids to make miniatures and whatnot. So we have to always think about not only what's going to serve us, but what's going to serve us in the future and our partners in the present and in the future. Yeah, that's nice that you think about that too. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> if we don't I don't think, think it's about just nice. it, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's no, even it's not necessary. Just like what looks cool in our book, you're right, actually like, right. oh, that would be a cool mini. But yeah. that's kind of different from you know the you think about things in two dimensions, and then now you have to think about yeah. them in three, mm-hmm. uh, not just in a you know uh, academic way of like, oh, what would it be in third? But like, what does the back of a dragonborn looks like? Yep. Right. Yeah. Right. Or the back Absolutely. of an, of the elfiest elf that ever elfed. <laughs> I know. I want to see this picture. Now. I know. That's, that's, that's basically my quote yeah. of the podcast. And and this boy, does this book have some elfy elfiness? <laughs> I love if you that. like elfy you know, elves, I'm an elf fan. You're gonna love. I am too. And I'll I'll be doing soon with Todd Kenrick a whole video just on uh, some of the elf material. Uh, but it, this book is. First time in fifth edition that we've delved into the creation story of the elves and how the drow ended up breaking off uh, from the others. And then again, the rise of the Eladrin and the rise of the Shatterkai. Uh, so there's some really great uh, sort of D&D multiverse myth-making uh, in this book. Is that stuff that, like, this is canon, this already existed, you go back into, like, Matt Cernat's brain (laughs) and, like, pull out these stories? Or are you making them up or a combination? So this is a mix. Uh, There's a lot of classic material that we drew on. Uh, You know, for instance, the the, uh, elf pantheon uh, goes all the way back to first edition D&D. And so we, we drew on that. And and also the conflict between Drow and the other elves, you know, that also goes all the way back to first edition. Uh, yeah. But there are actually there's some bits of connective tissue that have never, especially since third and fourth edition, uh, tissue that we've never really developed. Here's a great example. We often will say, as we do in the player's handbook, elves have fey ancestry. They were once fey. But, what does that mean? But until, yeah. until Morden Kanan's Tome of Foes, we haven't actually told the story about when they used to be Fae. So oh, this cool. book now has that story. Oh. Uh, and, that, and that time in their history predates uh, the Great Schism, uh, where, where the drow followed Lolth and broke away from their kin. Why did they do that? Well, you'll have to see in the book. <laughs> it's still, <laughs> still being worked on right why now. Why did they do that? Did they go to her? Did she go to that? Like, why did they do that? She went to them. But she went to all of the elves. Yeah. Part of our story is actually initially almost all of the elves listened to her. Really? Yes. Yes. Well, she wa- because, because, and now I'm, now I'm, this is scooping on our other videos. Uh, That's beca- okay. Because Coralon, uh, 
the the parent of elves, uh, in many ways is this playful, not very attentive parent. And I know that. <laughs> I'll drink to that. That's my nickname. And, What's her name again? And 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 Lolf, <laughs> Lolf provided direction. Uh, and, she was the leader. And and definition. Oh. Uh, she saw an opportunity yes. and she took it. Yes. She's yeah. like one of those bossy playground moms. Let <laughs> <laughs> me tell you. <laughs> You're yeah. going to do this now. Yeah. Uh, and then some of them were like, Mm-mm, no, we like Corellin. So they, toward the end, many of them had regret and they flinched basically before going over the edge with her. So really the drow are the kind of the, the remnant of the rest of the elves who they decided to stay with her. Uh, as she was cast out. You know, I don't know why, but I always like take the side of the female villains in D and D. Just in D and D, well, maybe in real life too. I love, I just love Wolf and Zuggy. Love Zuggy, Tiamat. I was like, oh hell, Tiamat. (laughs) (laughs) You and Joe Manganiello are like, yo, Tiamat. I like strong female villains. I guess with five heads (laughs) and. Some anthropomorphic uh, uh, yeah. body underneath them. I don't like spiders in real life, but like I would, I would probably have followed Loth off that cliff. <laughs> <laughs> you like, you just like strong direction. From, I do. Oh, yeah, man, from, that makes from sense. women. Is this like a mom issue? Do I have? Do I have mommy issues? See, this is what Dungeons and Dragons is instructive because you start learning about yourself as you talk about the lore and how you play with it. <laughs> so, so the, well, uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, and I was just going to add that uh, in this book, sometimes people, it's funny, even when we did the Unearthed Arcana that, where we gave some new elf options, people will ask, why are there so many kinds of elves? Well, in this book, we actually answer that question. There is a, there is a, a strong story reason for why. Mm. The short version of that is elves in their original fae form were beautiful beings who could essentially assume all sorts of different forms. And as they fell, they sort of crystallized into these different forms. And so the elves we have now are these sort of these, they're like little snapshots of forms that all elves used to be able to assume. Mm. Uh, and so this book also has sea elves as uh, oh. a new playable option. Oh. What? Yeah. Well, I didn't even know that. Sea yeah. Elves. yeah, sea, sea elves. elves are in there. Because we've actually, we, it's sort of we name drop sea elves. Like almost any time we talk like in Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide or the Player's Handbook, we'll talk about elves and offhand. Oh, and by the way, there are these elves who live under the sea. So we said, well, how about we finally give the playable version of them since we keep basically teasing people with, oh, there are these sea elves. So, yeah, they're in this book as well. Have so they what, been in other books? Not in 5th edition. So uh, but that must it, have been fun to commission, I mm-hmm. guess. It was a lot of fun. Um, uh, there, I think there are only two images of I them. I think right now only one is in the book. How many of the art orders did you use uh, as a reference the Shape of Water? Like, watch that movie. <laughs> no, this is before that movie. This happened so. Yeah, I wish that I'd had that as as the, reference point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so Guillermo beautiful. del Toro. He knew what you guys were thinking about. He's like, we, we got we got to get this uh, dramatized as it's, much as possible. It's part of the zeitgeist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they have gills, right? So they're able to breathe water. Mm-hmm. Is that true? And and webby well, webby hands and, and feet and mm-hmm. uh, some. But they can come on land too. Yes. That are yep. like, okay. They're amphibious. 
Wait, so they start out as tadpoles and then they turn into <laughs> no. to, to sea elves? my character again. <laughs> You're going to be a sea elf now? <laughs> if only you had known. Drunky, drunky web toes. <laughs> <laughs> so they... Uh, do you want me to spoil some more? Yeah, we do. I'm sure. Uh, I like it when I don't even have to ask the question. Uh, so uh, this this part is easy to spoil because there's more stuff people have seen in Unearthed Arcana. And that is we, back in October, I believe, we had a bunch of fiendish options, which were things we were exploring for this book. And most of that material uh, in refined form has made it into the book. So people are going to see there are new options for their tiefling characters. Because part of the story of tieflings is that uh, they have an infernal origin. They are, they are connected uh, to the nine hells. And so now we've given you the option that you can decide sort of what is the infernal ancestry uh, of your particular tiefling. And that ancestry uh, can influence some of your racial traits. Uh, we also for Dungeon Masters have options for creating uh, different uh, infernal and abyssal cults. Uh, so in, in the monster manual, in the NPC appendix, we give you a generic cultist stat block and a generic cult leader stat block. Well, now in this book, we give you add-ons so that you can add special abilities specific to different archdevils and, and different demon lords. You can add those things on to those other stat blocks uh, to sort of bring them to life and associate them with these particular fiendish beings. And mm. a, a further cool. neat thing is those abilities can even be uh, applied to other stat blocks, not just the cultist and uh, cult leader stat blocks. Uh, we in, initially, that's sort of how they started in our design, and then we we're like, wow, but we just make it so that almost anyone can have these uh, uh, things added. But to clarify, because I know some people listening would think, wait, can player characters have these abilities? They have been designed for non-player characters and for monsters. Uh, I see. Uh, if a DM wanted to give them to player characters, of course, that is an option. But that is that was not how they were designed. Got it. All right. And that's kind of cool because, you know, in the past, I've always thought tieflings were, uh, you know, one specific devil had created them due to uh, agreement with, you know, some, some, some humankind. Uh, but now you're saying it's it could be any one of the the, the archdukes of, uh, or not even an archduke. It could be any devil that is able to create a tiefling option. So so what we what we clarify in Tome of Foes is that the tiefling in the monster manual is is sort of the most common, and they are the tieflings associated with uh, Asmodeus. Right. Uh, and so now we give you. Uh, ways to make tieflings associated with like Dispater, Mephistopheles, uh, uh, and others. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. Now you're gonna. Now yeah. you know what your next character My is. My next going character to be. is certainly gonna be one that's like yeah uh, different. But then then you said there's abyssal ones as well that have to do with the with the not not for tieflings because okay. tief the cults we have abyssal cults okay. but not tieflings because tieflings are just as associated with the nine hells. All right, so that's the next book. Is, <laughs> it's creating creating this new race of like d- d- demonic uh, uh, humanoids. I think yeah, even... it would be it, it would be an interesting thing to explore. Uh, now, you heard it here first. For, first now, folks. what we do explore uh, in this book, uh, having to do with both the nine hells and the abyss, is we explore also Cambian variants. Oh, so the monster wow. manual has one type of Cambian. Uh, to use. Uh, and in this book, we say, well, here's how you can make Cambians associated with different fiendish powers. And, cool. and again, gives you new little abilities that you can apply to the Cambian stat block in the monster manual. 
Excellent. Yeah, great. So I'm, I'm sure we have lots of great art of, of tieflings and, and how they look. Yes, mm-hmm. we do. Yeah. One horn or not. You know. <laughs> well, I was going to say, with all these different ways of making tieflings, your horns can be practically anything, right? Right. right. I love that. I want my horn to be like... You know, unicornish. Uh-huh. When you turn to the side. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> you. That'd be yep. me. It's more yep. like a hook you can use to get people off stage. Maybe that's another race, though, that we can explore: is unicorn folk. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Oh, my oh gosh, my God. <laughs> You're like, get Jeremy, get on Let's it. Let's do it. Wait, <laughs> unicorn centaur folk. They're right. They're like, you know, yes. Yeah. yeah. I right. might, I might torment Mike with that. Uh, <laughs> I, I beat him in the Great Turtle War and got turtles made. So maybe I can also get. Uh, uh, you, you just have to put up a very scientific poll yes. uh, and, yeah. and get more followers. That's the only way to do it. I can have like, I can get you a bunch of four-year-old girls that'll say yes, to the unicorn people. Hey, many, many of us boys person. and men will also want it. True. True. Yes. Quinn would be all in support of that. Yep. Yep. So where did the idea of this? does this come from a book like this do you think like it would be really cool to write a book about all these different conflicts let's riff off that and then it becomes Mordecai's guide to foes or is it like you know what we haven't talked about Mordecai let's do something with him he's the star of this book and here's what he would talk about so it it started as uh, exploring the conflicts and the participants in those in those conflicts, uh, because again, we we not only wanted to talk about the bad guys, but we also wanted a way to talk more about like elves and dwarves and halflings and gnomes and whatnot. And then, because all of our books, even our our rule books, uh, like this one or uh, Xanathar's Guide to Everything, we always like there to be some kind of story hook, some some way the book is anchored in uh, the various D&D worlds. Yeah. And we'd been wanting for a while to feature Morden Kanan. I mean, he has his cameo in The Curse of Strahd. Uh, by now, I think it's safe to spoil that. Uh, but yeah, Is anyone that who, like, a, like a seed? Like you put him in there knowing he was going to get his own uh, book one well, day? Well, because yeah, we, we've known all along that Morden Kanan would, uh, would get featured yeah. uh, because he's such a big deal in the D&D multiverse. And specifically, he's a big deal because he's known to be a planar traveler. Uh, and so as we explored this book and thought, who would be basically the, a good narrator? Or, you know, if the, the kind of the story of this book actually is that his notes uh, were stolen by Shemeska the Marauder, who is actually a Planescape oh. uh, character. Uh, she stole his notes, and then those notes have been... Uh, sort of cobbled together and just like in Xanathar's Guide to Everything where there are little comments by Xanathar throughout the book, this book has comments uh, from Mordenkainen uh, sprinkled throughout and uh, Mordenkainen is pretty sassy it turns out. <laughs> did, you, wait, did you write a lot of those? Yeah. Uh, no, no. I, I, I wrote one of them in the book and it's actually very sassy. Uh, but <laughs> but um, it turns out Matt Cernat uh, also is uh, very good at sass. sass. Yes, yes. He's a, and, and Matt he's actually has Matt has a lot of experience writing as Mordenkainen because Matt wrote all the Mordenkainen quotes in the fourth edition book, Mordenkainen's Magnificent Emporium. Really? Yeah, and that's a book Matt and I worked on together and he, it's funny, he has been now for years Secret writing identity. in the voice of Morden Kanan. That's amazing. 
That's pretty I cool. I like it. I like that he's a little sassy. Mm -hmm. So we haven't talked a lot about the the the, the Gith and uh, their conflict and what they're all about, uh, as well as the dwarves and Duergar, because I know we have some 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 dwarf fans out there as well. Yes. But yeah. What's the, what's the the quick on the Gith? Like, so yeah, what, visually, how how do Gith? Uh, how do they look different? Uh, the Gith Zarai and the Gith Yankee. Uh, well, they they don't look that different. Right. So one of the things when we reimagine a, a race or a monster. Um, we have to have a really good reason for doing it because what it also means is we can't use any old pickup art. We can't use any 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 art that was done it's for Dragon Magazine. Trick. We can't use anything from uh, any previous adventures or or um, uh, OP event uh, art. Things that people probably would never have seen, um, or at least the majority of people. But we just can't use it anymore. So. Um, so that is another thing that we consider when we're reconcepting. Right. Um, so, so they look, they look very similar. They look then? very similar. Mm -hmm. I okay. think um, their their costuming is maybe a little bit different, but uh, the actual creature themselves are pretty, you know, overripe banana. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good description of the gif. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the book delves into the conflict uh, uh, between uh, the gif. Following uh, their uh, being oppressed by mind flayers, uh, since that that darkness in their past sort of has influenced their entire history. Uh, and as I mentioned before, you can now play uh, Gith Sarai or Gith Yankee. And I have to say, Kate, the the art in that chapter is really spectacular. Uh, I know. I know which one you're thinking of too. Well, several of them, uh, like the yeah the the Gith Yankee city painting. Oh my God, with the dead god oh, there. The city. Yeah. I love. Like, yes. Did you guys see City of God? Uh, not City of God. City of Dead. God. Coco. I'm thinking about the movie Coco. But <laughs> oh, the City of right, the Dead right, in right, Coco. Right. Uh, uh, it was the recent Pixar mm -hmm. movie, but I, I kind of imagine it as being like that was like an other planar uh, D and D you know uh, location mm -hmm. to me. So yeah. yeah, when you immediately said that, I'm like, oh god, I wonder if it looks like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, the, and again, a great painting of Lacketh, uh, the the Lich Queen. Uh, who's who's that? She she is the leader of the Gith Yankee. She's look! Been, look! You're learning all sorts of things. I know, right? I'm like, like, I'm like writing. You I'm, should know. I'm getting notes for many, many more segments to come. <laughs> I think you're going to enjoy reading this book. That's yeah, it, it has a lot of it has a lot of really good stories. So she's the Lich Queen. Uh, is she the one that leads the revolt against the uh, mind flayers, the Illithids? She. So she is one of the yeah one of the great leaders. Uh, now the leader of the Gith Yankee. Uh, and you know, whereas the gifts arrived, they broke off, and, and so much breaking off. I know, like, yeah. Come together, <laughs> <laughs> they're all just taking off. Yeah. That's, well, that's the halfling in the uh, the gnome section. Oh, It'll be about right. coming yes. together, yeah. drink yep. some food, yep. make some inventions. Yep. Drink, <laughs> drink some food. Drink some food. <laughs> that's what they do. That what <laughs> yeah, you heard it here first. Halflings and gnomes are all about smoothies. Yes. They, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they love their soylent. They just drink it down. <laughs> <laughs> it's an entire chapter about juice bars. <laughs> Wait, no, you think you think they're nice, the but they're actually burgers. eating people. Like, oh, those God. smoothies are all made from <laughs> <Yeah>. people. <laughs> that is the dark secret revealed in this book. <laughs> They've all been cannibals this whole time. <laughs> Dark Sun had it right. Uh, 
They've been they're so nice all along. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so right, so they 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 revolt against the Illithid, and she's the one, if I'm remembering correctly, that is like, all right, that means now that we're basically free, let's make sure we kill all Illithid everywhere. Oh, Githyanki hate them, hate yeah. them, hate them, hate hate the the mind flayers. So yeah. it goes into hate, 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 uh, which leads to uh, yeah. all the things that Yoda talked about it leading to. Yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> and and mind, mind, flayers, mind flayers, it turns out, have caused a whole lot of trauma in the D&D multiverse uh, because, you know, it, it has caused also trauma for various dwarves and, and many other creatures uh, in various places. Because mind flayers, not only do they... Uh, oppress various peoples, but also perform, perform horrific experiments on them, partly because mind flayers, as we described in Volo's Guide to Monsters, are so alien. Yeah. Uh, it, I sometimes imagine that basically they, if they met us, humans or the, or the other humanoids of the, of the D&D multiverse, it, we would almost be like insects to them, where like our just behavior would be kind of inexplicable, and they would just like get out their scalpels and like what makes them tick. I mean, that's just sort of how mind. They're, they're just they're, again they're horrific. Curious. You say horrific. I say curious. <laughs> well, horrific when they then want to gobble up your brain. So, are you saying that probably we won't be getting a player? A version of the mind. <laughs> no, we're not going to play mind players ever. That is not likely. Like ever, yeah. not likely. Asking for a friend. Yeah, not likely. <laughs> I think right we talked about that when we were talking about Volos. We we're like, no, there's no, there's no you redeemed illithid. There's right. no, uh, you know, uh, drist of the of the illithids. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Here's our our friendly brain eater. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He's like, I just ate the brains of rats. That's okay. I'm cool with it. Right. A vegetarian mind player. I only eat happy thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, none of those things exist. Yeah. Uh, so uh, on the dwarf side, uh, we we delve into the conflict between uh, dwarves and dwergar in particular. I like that you're delving. Uh, yes, sure that was, yes. That was noted. Uh, it, it included with uh, alliteration. Yes. Uh, <laughs> And in the monster section, we have new Dwergar options. Uh, and Dwergar have uh, developed various psionic abilities uh, in the monster manual. You know, they have their invisibility and they're enlarged. In this book, we actually show Dwergar who have other special abilities. Oh. Uh, and then uh, going back to our peaceful halflings and gnomes, uh, even the monster section has in particular some gnome-themed uh, material. We have some clockwork creatures that are specifically created by gnomes. And that's also some more great <laughs> art, actually. Uh, I love the, the clockworks. I love making them, too. Yeah. I don't make them. I you commission direct, them to other people. Them. But I love, I love getting them in and, like, could this really work? <laughs> Let's make it. Let's see. Yeah. What, what are some of the – what do they look like? What are the, some of the – give us – what are some art that you've uh, – I want, I want more detail. So one, oh, one, of, one of them uh, looks like uh, – it, it looks like this little robot guy with two little shields because it's sort of like this little defender Ew. guy. Uh, but they're made by gnomes, so they're not, you know, most of the constructs in the game, like golems and whatnot, are really big. But these are made by gnomes, so they're more like, like dwarf size. That's cool. Uh, and so, and so That's how, really you can describe some of the other ones. Oh, I was just going to talk about the, the little frog. <gasps> There's a little frog? Oh, the frog in the, uh, oh, in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Uh, no, isn't isn't he in the the gnome section? Oh, maybe chapter? he reappears in there. Oh, it's a new one. Yeah. It's oh, a new is one. there a new There's one? There's a new frog. 
A clockwork frog? I don't know what I'm talking <gasps> no, about. No, yes, you're right. <laughs> no, because I'm confused because we've done, because we love mechanical frogs so much. This is, we've done it multiple times in fifth edition. <laughs> There's like five art orders yes. for more mechanical frogs out there. Frogs. They're also amphibious. They start as mechanical tables and they, they go together full Can we size. play a mechanical frog? <laughs> no. no. I love, I love for Shelly, everything is basically, can I play it? Can I play <laughs> but wouldn't it be great if you're, if you're Dungeon master was like, and he and then you find this and gives you a mechanical yes. frog, or a unicorn, or a unicorn. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I would go for yeah. that. I think the grung, the grung fans out there would go crazy mm-hmm. if there was Chris like a mechanical too. grung. Yeah. What? Next time. What? Even even the uh, the halfling and gnome part of the book also includes uh, some like table of. Inspiration for creating uh, gnome, in, crazy gnome inventions, uh, uh, that kind of thing. Oh, that's cool. Just yeah. the names of them? Uh, no, and also descriptions of the kinds of wacky things they might oh, do. That's cool. Yeah. I kind of like a, you know, like a band. Like, oh, here's your indie pop band, and you have like three <laughs> tables to draw. Mechanical yeah. Frog would yeah. be a great name for your indie rock band. Ding, 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 ding. I think I could Mechanical do it. Frog. That was my banjo playing, by the way. Yeah. If you, in case you didn't Love know. that indie. <laughs> <laughs> it's bluegrass. It's totally indie. <laughs> Where's Pelham? It's Pelham. It's bluegrass. It's totally. Um, so that's all right. So, yeah, Duergar. Uh, oh, I see. I always pronounce it Duergar. Is that wrong? I do too. Is I that? like the way he pronounces it, but Duer- I. Say it again. Dwergar. I say Dwergar. Dwergar. But these are all made up words anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm I'm glad I got an ally, though, so it's Dwergar. Well, it helps me when I have to spell it when I'm looking through the database. Yes, if you're you're saying it phonetically. Yes. (laughs) Yes. That makes it so much easier. Dwergar. But they have like a a gray pallor to them, right? Mm -hmm. They do. They have, uh, I don't know why uh, um, creatures that are, under the ground have white hair, but they do. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. We, it's it's a D and D thing, I guess. In one of the paintings, uh, I I particularly like the Dwergar, uh, the woman with the mohawk. <laughs> oh, yes. nice. oh, yeah, yeah. Like a white mohawk. Uh-huh. Yeah, she nice. looks tough. That is cool. Mm-hmm. I want to play as her. Yeah. Can we play as her? <laughs> <laughs> yes, in fact, you can because we because we have given. Uh, the um, information on playing Dwergar. Oh, there we go. So there you go. So you can play. I'm gonna have like 15 D and D games play her. going. <laughs> <laughs> just so you can make play the characters. All these characters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's what D and D Beyond is great for. You can just make I the know, characters just keep and making them. have them on call. Who wrote this? Did you write this? Did you have freelancers write it? So uh, this this book w- is the work of a team. So that team includes oh, uh, right. myself, Mike. Matt Cernet, Adam Lee, Robert Schwab, Steve Winter, Kim Mohan, wow. Chris Perkins, uh, Ben Petrosor. Really? Uh, and <laughs> Did Ben write stuff too? So Ben Ben helped us develop uh, the stat blocks because uh, mm. uh, yes. a lot of game mechanics in this book, and so yeah. and so yeah, the writing includes not only all the story material, uh, but also all the stat blocks. That's, That's super pretty cool. cool. Mm-hmm. Awesome, and uh, there's two covers, right? There's the yes. there's the uh, uh, standard cover, which you can get uh, everywhere on May 29th. Uh, and that is a standard cover designed by Jason Rainville, and there is a uh, alternate cover uh, that is available in game stores on May 18th, and that is also super cool. A little, little bit different than our other 
uh, alternate covers. Those have been uh, designed by Hydro 74, and I believe this one is designed by Vance Kelly. Va That's right. Vance Sorry. Kelly. <laughs> no, you had, it, you, you. you had it in the top of your head. That's good. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I love, I love that style of, of the, uh, the alternate cover. We'll yeah, get. he did a great job, and um, I haven't seen what the special printing effects will be on this one, um, but I'm looking forward to that, too. Yeah, I think there'll be some shininess. Shiny. There, yeah, something shiny, something deep and dark, something something for everyone. Oh, I thought you were going to say something borrowed, something blue. That's what I love. <laughs> <laughs> I should have gone there, but... <laughs> Super cool. Well, thank you guys so much uh, uh, for, for talking to us about uh, everything that's in there. I feel like there's more to delve into, and we will, over the next couple of months, uh, be going into uh, more of the lore behind all this, as well as more of the mechanics. I know you mentioned that there's a lot of high-level uh, challenges mm -hmm. and, and, and things, so if uh, players have gotten up to uh, you know 10th, 11th, 12th, 20th level, there's actually some stuff uh, uh, in here for, for them, which there hasn't been that much uh, in the Monster Manual and the other uh, material that has been out there that, that challenged them. So it's cool that, 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 there's, that was the focus for a lot of this, too, was to... T terrifying things that will destroy them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but there are some okay. lower-level things as well. Exactly. Something for everybody. Yep. I know you, yep. And, and Shelly, you mentioned there's players, uh, lots of player material. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it's going to be pretty exciting. We got to talk about it for a lot for over the next couple of months. Um, Kate, where can people find out more about what do you do? And, and maybe actually, you know, cause I know you're not necessarily on the social medias, but one thing you can talk about is art drop because oh, yeah. I'm always looking for oh, more yeah. people to, uh, uh, get their art in front of you art directors. Yes. Art drop at wizards.com. Um, if you are an artist and you want us to see your portfolio attach uh, three to five examples of what you do, um, gear it towards D&D &D um, or magic because both D&D &D and magic art directors look through um, and um, we're always looking for new talent. How many, how many pieces of art do you think are in uh, uh, Morning Cunning's Tome of Foes? Gosh, I don't know. We keep putting more in. Yeah. <laughs> well, like a, it's like, like 40 or 60 oh. or... Oh, more like 80, 90... Hundred? You think more than a hundred? Yeah, because they're I feel like a typical book has. Because more remember, there's, let's see, there are over 130 pages of just monsters. Oh right, and there's a and an image for each monster. Uh, yep. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, upwards of 100. Yeah. And that's <laughs> a lot of art. I worked so hard. How many artists <laughs> is that? So, some of them will contribute more than one piece. Yes, yeah. absolutely. How many artists do you typically um, work with on one book? Well. I usually try to keep each artist to doing uh, five or fewer pieces. Some people are real workhorses, and they're like, I can do 20. And I'm like, mm, seven. <laughs> <laughs> because that's a lot. That's yes. a lot of work in one person's hands. And if, if they screw up. If, yeah, if they artists. screw up or they win the lottery, and yeah. they're like, I don't need to do art anymore. And then I'm like, I have to commission 21. 20 pieces. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, so, what would that be? I, you're asking me to do math in Sorry. front of everybody. <laughs> I'm an art director, <laughs> damn it. Uh, so, like 30 or 40 artists is what we're talking about, yeah. right? Yeah. So, yeah. That's uh, a we, lot of we, artists. Exactly. Yeah. And so everybody's on their own schedule. <laughs> no, they they oh. pretty much stay on my schedule. But I hope so. Yeah. Are you managing all of the, so you're managing all of that? Mm -hmm. All of those pieces. Yes. Come through you, and you have to follow up with everyone. Yeah. But, but that's why it, it's helpful to have 
one person doing four or five pieces because then it's only one email for four right, or five pieces true. instead of four or five individual emails. Yes. Which, that, yeah. That gets hard. We that manage gets totally it. Hard. We manage it. But, I mean, there's always a, a, a need for more uh, quality artists. Yes, so absolutely. So that art drop is the, the best way, you think, mm-hmm. for, for people to get your name out there? Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely, yes. Awesome. I cool. Well, Jeremy, how can people get in touch with you uh, about art that they can uh, <laughs> send into artdrop at wizards.com? <laughs> That's exactly where they should send art. <laughs> uh, and then if they want to reach me or are curious about uh, D&D rules or really anything else uh, D&D related, I can be reached on Twitter. Uh, that's Jer. Jeremy E. Crawford. That's right. That's where you uh, do the rulings for Sage Advice. Uh, it's amazing to me that you have the time to do that in the midst of planning for this book. How, oh. <laughs> do you do that more as a uh, safety valve for, for yourself or like, oh, I'm getting too busy, do some rulings? or how, uh, how Sometimes if, if I do it during the workday, sometimes it's kind of a mental break yeah. because so often I'm like really deep into, you know, crafting text or a new rule and it's a nice break to see, oh, you know, what, what's the community asking about? Uh, and also I just enjoy that interaction uh, with the community. But also sometimes I uh, answer the questions in the evenings or on the weekend. Uh, and, but as Kate knows, I am really bad about respecting my own free time. So I do a lot of work when <laughs> I'm supposedly resting. <laughs> like doing D&D rulings isn't work. It's fun. I get to <laughs> At least you can have some bourbon while you're doing it. Yes, yes. If it's at home. Start getting a little fuzzier. Yes. (laughs) The rules get fuzzier. Where the responses get sassier. I'm not sure which one. Especially there have been a few times where I've answered rule questions on a Friday evening Uh where my answers might have been a little (laughs) bourbon influenced. (laughs) And and sometimes those are tweets I later I'm like, I need to expand on that answer a little bit (laughs) or maybe delete that tweet and replace it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Replace it a little better. Yeah. Awesome. Then, of course, we also do our awesome uh, uh, discussions of of some of these topics that uh, get into the things behind the... Sage rulings advice. for our Sage Advice segment. So uh, I'm looking forward to those. I think I got one next week for us. Yes. Uh, we'll record it next week uh, here uh, for for uh, dissemination on the podcast. Are there other, you think that there's other Jeremy Crawfords on Twitter that just get random questions? <laughs> oh, you like, know, I've never checked. Maybe so. The hell? Right. <laughs> A dwarvigar? Yeah, what? Well, why is this person asking me about twin spell? <laughs> and other people, the guy who wants to know about twin spell is like, why won't he write me that? <laughs> he said he would respond to all of our tweets. <laughs> yeah, the person who doesn't know, he's like, this is really creepy. <laughs> this is like twinning of spells. Oh, God. That's crazy. Uh, well, awesome. Uh, again, thank you guys for coming and uh, uh, talking to us about it. I know taking it out of the time that is necessary to get it out there. The, the actual file is not out, right? So that's going to be, what, two weeks' time from now? That Next week is when it goes through the press. Next Ooh. week. That's insane. So We're not supposed to talk to you until then. <laughs> except, for, <laughs> except for in the confines of this podcast. Right. I know. I couldn't believe it. Like, <laughs> we got them. Allowed. Got them in here. Ooh. Awesome. Uh, Shelly, what uh, uh, can you point people to that they would love to uh, talk to you about? Perhaps some uh, betrayal at Baldur's Gate, or you can always we can always talk about that. But we just saw a new cover. Did you guys see the cover I for did. Betrayal Legacy? I haven't seen it. No, it's hanging on Shauna's wall. Oh, so we got to go check it out. Yeah, so beautiful. Please judge games by their cover, because <laughs> you will love this game. 
Yeah, it's really beautiful. And then, oh, no, we didn't talk about that yet. Never mind. What is Betrayal Legacy for those of you who Betrayal are not Legacy following? Betrayal a board game based on Betrayal at House on the Hill. And it's a legacy game, which means that the game will change. It'll become customized to your gaming experience. You will do things like put stickers over cards or on tiles or tear things up. And your game is going to end up being very different than your game and that your game because you're going to make choices that influence the game, but just your game. And then you're left with a customized board game. Unlike other legacy games, you can continue to play this one. Oh, that's Over good. and over and over oh, and over again. Yeah. So there will still be like a almost like... 30 or more haunts that you haven't even seen. That only that's open up after you've yeah. finished? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. And then you just keep playing them on your customized game. So like, you'll find some tiles throughout the Legacy campaign that maybe you didn't find. So if you went and played Greg's version of the game, you'd be like, I, where did you get this room? That is so weird. And if you're, you don't have to have be familiar with House on the Hill to enjoy this one. But if you do, then you're going to appreciate a lot of the things that you discover. Like, if you've ever wondered, like, why is this room collapsed? Maybe you'll find out. Oh, that's cool. I like that. It's like this ongoing story of what's going on in the mansion is now all coming to fruition. Yeah. I saw some of the sculpts of the... uh, The the minis um, uh, in, in just an impromptu meeting you were having in the D&D office. It got me very excited. Don't say anything. This is a real thing. Well, they are exactly like this, and let me describe it to you. There's all, all I can say is teddy really bear. Careful. There was a teddy bear. Do you need, do you need me to hit the button? Hit the button. <laughs> I cut him off. Oh my gosh, There's this coffee a, was too much. It's just it is. It's hard to talk about like the components of the game because you can't because you can't give things away. It's true because a lot of it is stuff you discover along the way. No there spoilers. are components. <laughs> components exist. There are components. In the Where game. can people find out more about uh, what you, you and what you're doing? Follow Avalon Hill. At Avalon Hill 2, the number 2 on Twitter. Or you can follow me at Shelly Moo. I'll tell you everything. Awesome. I, too, tend to drink on Friday nights. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's the time. Time it perfectly for when to ask Shelly about components. I do not use social media in the evenings, on weekends. That's, that's important. On you, purpose. Shelly, the brand manager, told Shelly the, the, the game component. Uh, Shut it down! <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Nothing! <laughs> I thought we announced this. We have not announced this yet. <laughs> it sounds like a haunt. That's going to be about to be I nice. know, right? Uh, Twin spell. You can uh, follow me. <laughs> I'm at Greg Tito. Uh, I'm also on the Instagram. You can follow me at Greg underscore Tito there. Uh, if you want to find out about more things about Tome of Foes, uh, it is all over the uh, website, DungeonsAndDragons.com. We have uh, tons of information up there about it, uh, and more and more will come out over the next couple months. Uh, again, we mentioned uh, Todd doing interviews on D&D Beyond, uh, and uh, we'll be doing more segments about it here in the lore, as well as, well, probably not Sage Advice, but we'll cover it as much as we can here on the podcast going forward. So thank you guys for listening, and uh, we're excited about Tome of Foes. Again, the release date for that is May 29th, and will be out on the 18th in game stores. Uh, so make sure you get your limited copy uh, there. All right, I think that's it, everybody. Right? Bye, everyone. Very excited. Bye. Ah! Rocks fall, everyone dies. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.